Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. Welcome back to Boy Problems Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to talk about boundaries because they're really important in recovery and your relationship with your loved one. So we're going to have Liz read a definition of boundaries, just kind of set us up. Yeah. So we found this definition of boundaries um, from Hazelden Betty Ford um, Clinic. And their definition says that personal boundaries are physical and or emotional limits that people set for themselves as a way to safeguard their overall well-being. Healthy boundaries help people define who they are as a way to ensure relationships are safe, supportive, and respectful. Yeah, that's a good definition. Mm -hmm. I think so. So I feel like boundaries can be kind of hard to identify or... Feel like when we first learned about boundaries like well, what does that mean and I think right. you always go to like the big boundaries first or like the boundary of like oh I'm gonna kick them out right yeah. I think we've learned there are a lot of like smaller steps that you can take along the way yeah yeah, yeah. what are the big boundaries that come to mind that you think that you kind of gravitated towards or thought of instantly when you first heard of boundaries I would say the first one that came to mind was like, oh, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then you get kicked out of the house. Yeah. I think that was the same for me too. I was just curious. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like, I think that was like the only boundary that I thought of at that time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I also think it, <clears throat> maybe this is a difference between like a spouse relationship and a parent child or like depending on the age of the child also, like if there are things like as a parent, if you're you bought a car for your child or you're allowing them to drive your car like those could be things that you take away yeah but I struggled with Jake because I'm like well it's his car he has his own money right like he pays for his cell phone so I was always like what what can I like take away from him right um yeah that's a good point yeah because we were in the opposite position where we shared everything and he would like take money or lie about like whatever he was doing and with the money and things. So the money was a f- easy first yeah. boundary for me. It was easy to kind of say, okay, well you don't get any money <laughs> yeah. or like you get it in this other way. You don't have access to all of our money or whatever, just to make me feel like if he went off the deep end, I wouldn't be like in a really terrible financial position. Right. Yeah. I think, and maybe we can get down into this deeper, but another boundary for me was the way in which Steve spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And so I set a boundary that he wasn't allowed to speak to me so mean. Um, Did he when he was using? One. Yeah, he was awful. Well, <laughs> he was so mean and I, um, I mean, I guess I can jump into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, uh, so he, we spoke about this in the last episode that, I would say, like, this is weird, this is wrong, this is off, and then he would always tell me I'm crazy or whatever. And so I started to videotape him in different situations. And I also videotaped him um, when he was mean or mad at me. Mm -hmm. And so I... Google (laughs) brings up those uh, Mm -hmm. memories. Mm -hmm. And so I've been watching them when they pop up, which I shouldn't, but I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I forgot just how mean he was and how he would yell at me and the different things. And so setting up the boundaries. And I remember like when he would just be mean and he would start saying things. I'm like, no, like this is not okay. Like you Mm -hmm. cannot speak to me like that. And then I'd either walk away or make him go away or he Mm -hmm. was smoking at that time cigarettes. So I'd make him like get out of the house, go smoke. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that for me was a big boundary because just all the yelling and the, just how mean he was. That's so interesting. Again, I have an opposite perspective because 
my husband was like so kind and loving yeah, <laughs> when he was using. Yeah. And yeah. It was weird because then when he wasn't using, he was like cranky and like kind of like standoffish. And I was, it was just so confusing. Yeah, I guess. And Jake I was not mean when he was using and he wasn't mean when, mm-hmm. what did I just say? Wasn't or was. Basically, I'm trying to say that he normally was always like his normal, like, yeah happy self trying to make other people like be happy or laugh so like that wasn't really something we had to deal with but Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of people in our groups talking about Mm -hmm. like the addicts like oh they're really mean or they just like call and they yell at me and so a common boundary was like if you answer the phone and they're already yelling at you or saying something like just hang up immediately like don't engage or you know if you get mean text messages don't respond and Right. I think sometimes like it doesn't sound very big, but it's like a building block of like when you do that, like the first time when you're like, ha, huh, I didn't answer. Like it gives you a little yeah. bit of like pride mm-hmm. and then you can do it the second time and you build up strength. And so then if you need to do bigger boundaries, like you've had a little bit of practice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think it's empowering to, it has been empowering to me too, to like just sort of stand up for myself. In a way, I didn't realize I wasn't doing before, you know, like, I'm trying to think of an example, but, okay, the mood things, for example, like, early in recovery, I would just be like, okay, I guess this is how it is, like, this is okay, he can be grumpy all day, I mean, he's not using, and that's what I asked, and so, mm. I guess I just have to learn how to deal with this new person who's, like, not awesome, <laughs> and so then over time it was like, well, no, like we would have more conversations, and communication was a big hurdle for us at, uh, at the beginning too. And so just like forcing that, like communication, like no, this is this isn't okay, like this is how it affects me, and like working through that over a really long time. But I don't know had I not been involved with like a, re- a family recovery group or had other people that were like, yeah, that's happening to me too in this other way and this is what I'm doing. I'm not sure that would have come naturally to me to be like, okay, like, no, this isn't okay. Like, you sure you're not using, but that doesn't mean you're being a good person. Right. <laughs> this right. isn't okay. I deserve right. whatever. And so, I don't know, that was something that I'm not sure I would have found that on my own or like done it without the help of a group. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think when you go to the group and then you have to tell people like what's going on, like just saying things mm-hmm. out loud and hearing it, like you can kind of recognize like, all right, like maybe that's not acceptable. Like something about saying it out loud and admitting it to other people right. can help yourself recognize it. And then mm-hmm. getting the feedback from the group of, you know, them agreeing with you, like, no, you're right. That shouldn't be happening. Like you, yeah. you're not crazy for feeling this way yeah. mm-hmm. and then getting that support and, to empower you to make other decisions or put up boundaries. Yeah. I like I what you said about um, the fact like, oh, well, he's not using, so that's good enough. I think that's kind of easy to fall into because, yeah. yes. you know, you first get into it and it's like all you want is for them to be clean and you're so scared while they're using. And so then they are clean and it's just like, oh, thank God they're not using. And then mm-hmm. it, you can very easily get into like this trap of, like justifying whatever else with like, well, they're not using, so mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good point that you made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all you want is for them not to use. And like, yeah. you spent so much time well, for me, it was a few months, but so much time, like trying to get your, not trying to get them, but like being with them when they're trying to become sober and figure that out and then it's like okay so it's happening for a little while you're like okay I don't want to do anything to mess that up because I know Mm -hmm. what that's like so and it's a lot of that too it's like you take on that responsibility of like well what I say can impact and make him like maybe it'll make him go relapse or you know and so I think that like having those boundaries and and they need to have them too in a way that like you can have a respectful back and forth relationship but um I think that's another, I guess that was another turning point is realizing that he needs to have his own boundaries too. And like, if I'm doing something or saying something that is harming him in any way, like it's his responsibility to tell me, not like, I don't need to wait and like try to feel it from from him, you know, like interpret him or like, so, I mean, obviously 
be I wasn't like being disrespectful but if there are little things that like maybe I just don't know like I would spend a lot of time thinking like well what did I do to cause that reaction or what did I do and it's like well, at the end of the day nothing <laughs> like he chose how to react to that situation mm, and yeah. and so when I kind of figured that I was like I took a lot of the blame off of myself like I don't know I just think that I always kind of thought in the beginning before like getting into like a treatment uh group that you know, if I did a certain thing, it would be easier for him to be sober, right? Like, right. if right. Our, the rest of our life wasn't stressful, then he yes. has nothing to be stressed about, right? You know, so if I take care of all of that and all he has to focus on is getting clean, then this will work, <laughs> which it's not true. And so, right. But well, I think too, that's a good point to make for anybody who may be listening who was kind of in the beginning of this. Like, nothing mm-hmm. that we say or do can force them into a relapse or anything like they're on that path themselves Mm -hmm. and so i think that was difficult for me again walking on eggshells not me making sure i'm not saying anything that Mm -hmm. could oh of course when we get in a fight like he's gonna go out and relapse if he was gonna do that he was gonna do it anyway yeah so what is it you didn't cause it you can't control it and you you can't can't cure it it, right is a saying i think about me for them as well uh is you know he would come home from meetings like you going to a meeting today did you go to a meeting how was the meeting mm-hmm. who did you see did you talk to a sponsor did you get a sponsor how did you do on your steps and so that was a boundary that steve set up with me like listen like i'm glad that you want to know and you want mm-hmm. to be engaged but this is too much and mm-hmm. so i think from their side that 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 can be a boundary that they can set up too yeah totally yeah yeah i do think that was an evolution in my boundary setting and one of the things we want to talk about today is like how boundaries kind of evolved from the very beginning mm-hmm. with like active addiction to more of a maintained recovery. But it was one of those things where I started to notice like the stronger I am, the more I stand up for myself, the more I expect out of him, like typically he would rise to that and it would be motivating for him to kind of do the same thing. So we kind of got to a point where when I would put up a boundary, um, then he would like grow to meet it almost, if that makes sense. Because he valued, he respected me and he valued our relationship. And so like that was something that he took seriously. And so I think when I stopped becoming fearful of the boundaries, like what is this going to make him do? Mm -hmm. And started just saying, well, no, this is what I need. Because for whatever reason, I think it kind of changed a little bit. I agree. Well, that's, you said something that I think is important to address and something that I have to work on sometimes is not just putting in boundaries of like thinking like, well, if I set this up, then it will make them do this. Like that's like almost trying to like manipulate their recovery or like, and then puts too much, I don't know, maybe like expectation on yourself where you think like, if I do this, like this is going to make him clean or he's going to get in recovery. And like the boundaries really should be coming from a place of like, what do you need for yourself to feel like safe or healthy and like hopefully those boundaries that you're putting in place for you first and foremost like have a ripple effect that Mm -hmm. you know the symptom of that boundary like helps your partner or loved one Mm -hmm. get clean but if you're only making the boundaries hoping that the result is something for them I think that can lead to resentment and yeah yeah disappointment disappointment. yeah totally Okay, so we've talked about what a boundary is and why it's important, but how, like what types of boundaries, like what are examples? If you've never heard of this before, like what are some examples of things that you can do to kind of, kind of protect yourself? So I think, you know, some simple ones that we've encountered over the years is kind of like you said, Liz, not answering the phone, um, you know, if you think that they're mad or whatever, Um I think um, also I know some people like family members in our groups, like when you're in the throes of addiction or even early on in recovery, like it can be so consuming and that like you find yourself like that's all you're talking about. And so I know some people would set up like an agreement with their family members. Like we're only going to talk about our loved Mm -hmm. one's addiction for X amount of time. And then we're going to do something else so that, you know, that they're still spending time together doing things that they enjoy and it's not all revolving around Mm -hmm. addiction and the addict so I think that was a good boundary 
Mm-hmm. I think other boundaries too can be, uh, they may come at you really panicky. I need this money. I need it right now. Like, give it to me, give it to me. Or, hey, I need a ride somewhere. Like, you've got to take me because their license got taken away or whatever it may be. And it's like, eh, you know, you, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember, you know, speaking to Steve about that after one time. And he was like, you know, if, you know, I had a broken foot and I got my car taken away and my license. He's like, but I still found a way to get drugs. So right. they're very resourceful. So it's like. Meh, you know, yeah. you'll be okay. Like, you don't need this money this very moment. So, right. you know, even if your loved one is, you know, texting you like, I need 50 bucks for whatever, like, you can wait till morning, like, mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Yeah. It's yeah. Weird. That's think, not on you. I think sometimes it helps if you can just be like, okay, I need to think about it and I'll get back to you. Like, they might not like that answer, but it gives you a moment to, like, yes. catch your breath, think through things. And sometimes we've even found that, by the time you are ready to address it, they, they've already moved on and forgot and moved to the next thing. I think part of addiction is that like instant gratification mm-hmm. and they get so used to like, I need this now. And then they, it makes the people around you kind of become very panicky because you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't even think clearly. But if mm-hmm. you take a moment to like, just stop and put a pause on it, they then move on to something else or they forget mm-hmm. about it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think other boundaries are kind of the big ones, like losing your home, losing your car. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe we talk about, you know, contracts. You or know, coming up to, yeah, contracts, but coming up to the holidays, like if somebody is in active addiction or not, like maybe they're not invited to oh. your like Thanksgiving dinner, yeah. Christmas, I think. Those can be hard because sometimes we want to feel like, I think there's a lot of pressure on the holidays in general for it to like look a certain way and to have traditions. And so sometimes you'll give in because you are like, well, I need to have this person here because we're supposed to be together on Christmas or Thanksgiving. But um, yeah, maybe that's a boundary of you're doing these behaviors that I don't agree with. So Mm -hmm. you're not welcome to join us for the holidays mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah i think some of the basic ones at the beginning um when you're moving from like active addiction into recovery um were simple like very simple yes. like um you know there can't be any drugs in the house or alcohol oh. of any kind right because at the beginning my husband was like well i can still smoke weed and i can still <laughs> drink alcohol those aren't my problems and it's like they're a problem so having those things in the beginning i think is like the most basic (laughs) like creating the environment and then um a couple of really simple things that like halfway houses do are curfews so um you know having a reasonable like hour that you have to be home right like so if you work till seven then be home by eight right there's nothing else you need to do right um so some of that can help build trust too like okay so now i don't have to account for three hours of where you've been Mm -hmm. it's you know so you can kind of get into something simple like that and that's something that can easily be earned back like time um that's something that i i think almost every halfway house that i've heard of does but it's just it's a really easy one and then um i mean and you can even do drug tests, like, at home. So, like, you have to be clean to live here, and they're going to be random right. drug tests. Right. Um, and if you fail, then there's this consequence of whatever. Um, that's one that we had, especially since relapse has been a big part of, like, my husband's recovery journey. And so it was hard to build the trust. And so, you know, um, I think if they want to work on their – addiction and they really do want to be sober then while they may be annoyed at first i think over time as they get cleaner and they get healthier they like realize that these things are helping and like Mm -hmm. these things are making it possible so right well and it it benefits them because it helps build the trust yeah and like it does they feel better than if we are feeling more trusting yeah them um something i thought of is like if your loved one is using Suboxone or is on Vivitrol, um, like agreeing to go to the appointments together or like when Jake first got out of treatment and was on Suboxone, it was an agreement that like every morning, like he would take it in front of me. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were really consistent about that for a long time. 
But yeah. then the longer he was on it and things were going well, I kind of, you know, you gradually mm-hmm. fall off of that a little bit where it's like, oh, you maybe miss a moment. And I think that goes to the evolution yeah. of boundaries. Yeah. But. Yeah. It was hard for me to, um, cause I didn't, as a wife or a spouse, like I didn't want to police my mm-hmm. husband. Yeah. It weirds the dynamic out a little bit. Yeah. because like, this is my partner. He's like my romantic partner, my life partner. Like yes. I don't want to be his mom. Yeah. So yeah. that was really difficult. So it was like a really weird, um, like road to figuring out that balance of what is what are the boundaries that are like enough where I'm respecting you as an adult and giving you the opportunity to make your own choices and what are the ones that are like I guess for me it was just more simply it's what are the ones I really need to do well myself and then I'm not trying to control kind of what you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not mm-hmm. trying to control the outcome of your addiction because ultimately that's up to him. But if I'm going to be in this relationship, like what are the boundaries that I need to feel respected and loved and valued despite like working through the addiction, right? So then talking mean or yeah, the lying is a big thing for in mind. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so when you kind of like figure out what – boundaries are just for you um in my relationship with my spouse i think that has was a turning point because when i at first i was trying to control and with the good intentions like i was trying to control his recovery and like well if you use then these things happen or these you know like you have to leave and all these things which are fine boundaries um but it got to the point where it was like he was resentful of me like policing him all the time and like it didn't feel like a real relationship which made it harder and like more stressful i know something that jake has said sometimes is that it gets to a point where then he's trying to figure out like am i okay am i going to these meetings because i want this for my recovery like am i Mm -hmm. doing these because it's coming from me or am i doing this to please liz and like Mm -hmm. keep her off my back and then it can get a little Mm-hmm. convoluted and like who am I doing this for at yeah. that point well I think too they can have a, a you know, conversation about it so yes I want you to be a part of giving me my suboxone in the morning which I did with Steve yes I'm okay like maybe I want you to go to six meetings and your partner says no I only want to go to five like you can have that conversation right. so together you can develop that yeah yeah, yeah. that's important yeah I, I always try to in those conversations I always try to kind of dig to what are his motivations like what are his intentions is he trying to manipulate this little boundary or is is it like a reasonable is there a reasonable reason why um six meetings is just not is not possible for him right or do i have an unreasonable expectation of how many meetings he's going to and Mm -hmm. you know like my husband works a lot and he works evenings. And so, you know, he go at the beginning, he was going to a lot of meetings and now his, that his, he's a little bit more kind of established in things. It's, you know, if he drops a meeting here or there, he'll pick one up, but it's, I don't hold on to like, well, you didn't go to the Monday meeting. So oh. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know? And like causing like all of that, which I would do because like to me, not missing that one meeting was like, well, are you not going to be sober now? Yeah, like, I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, everything's going to unravel. Yeah, right yeah, because I'm looking at those, like if I'm only looking at the boundaries as a checklist to like how hard you're trying, then I think it's kind of doing a disservice to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of just taking a holistic view, like is this person trying with their best intention? Like are they, tr- because it's easy to tell when you actually figure this out. It's like, I comparing my husband now, like he doesn't go to six meetings a week or right. all of that meet with his sponsor every single week. But the everything he does, like his honesty, his communication, you know, he's his responsibility and then also managing his meetings and everything else on top of that. It shows me that he's he has those are his intentions or to fulfill his responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of addiction, they absolutely were not his intentions. <laughs> you know, like he was he would just say he's going to a meeting to go sit in a parking lot and use. And I thought he was, you know, at a meeting. I mean, you can kind of tell as you kind of go through, like, what will work for each person or each family or couple, I guess. But yeah. I, I just went on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, I would just hope that people wouldn't get so hung up on them. 
Yeah. Because I can just, like, spin things out. Like, oh, I messed up, like, X, Y, Z. I don't don't even know where I'm going with this, but, you know. No, I have. No, that's good. Because, like, we did a con. We haven't talked about this yet, but, like, some people in our recovery group did contracts. This was, like, when my husband was in active addiction. Really at the beginning of his recovery, like, maybe two months into being in a treatment facility where he just wasn't ready yet. Like, he was trying to figure it out, and, like, he was relapsing all the time, and our life was chaotic. It was maybe the worst, like, using period that we've had. And uh, I created a contract thinking, like, okay, well, if he doesn't stay sober, then I don't want to be with him, right? Like, which is true, right? Like, in the big picture, like, I don't want to be with him if he's not sober. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't build into that, like my expectation at that time is that like, this isn't a one and done thing for a lot of people. It's just not. And so when I was putting like, he's in under immense pressure and stress, like emotionally, like psychologically, like just getting physically, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just in the beginning of recovery. I was not patient with that. I was like, you can't mess up. You have to do all these things because the last six months you did this and you know, you could go to jail and you could die. Look at all these people dying that we know, like, which was, which was from a good place. Like, I mean, those things are all true, Yeah. but it just caused more stress when he's already really stressful. And so I think I pushed him to use again, because not that my actions did, but that situation, that environment of stress at home and stress everywhere. And he went to the thing that comforted him. Mm. and um now that's not my fault or anything i don't feel guilty for that but that's i didn't understand that that's how addiction works and he didn't have the tools yet to like take care of himself emotionally and i was expecting that immediately like Mm. you know like we'll go to counseling and do all these things that you've never done before (laughs) and do all these things right now yeah and so i think there's some patience with boundaries too and like managing your own expectations like I think there are some boundaries that it's cut and dry, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't want you using. So if you're using yeah. here, then there's a problem. Like if there are drugs in the house or whatever the thing is for you, I don't want any of that. So if I, if that, that's a, that's a deal breaker altogether. Sure. Um, but then there are other things where it's like, this is the person's process and it takes time to heal and it takes time to learn new habits and it takes time. So I don't know, like, what I'm, what, 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 what we were really talking about, but, <laughs> but that's something I've learned a lot from boundaries. Is that like, there's a larger picture, and yeah. addiction is their whole life. Mm-hmm. It's not the three months they're in treatment. Yes. I mean, it's that's fundamental and that's like super important, but it all doesn't get fixed in that time. And like, so I've kind of had to manage my expectations for our relationship and pull back. That's a good point. And, like, give space for him to heal on his own while having these baseline boundaries that respect me and our relationship, but don't, but also respect him and where he's at. So, I don't know. That was my long way of saying that. So, I have a question. Mm -hmm. When we were talking about, you know, relapse is part of recovery. And so, when that happens, like, obviously a boundary has been broken, Mm -hmm. but not every time has have we just been like okay you're out of the house so like yeah what do the consequences I guess I'm trying to think for other people like what are some of the consequences or how does that well my boundary changed like because I understood addiction as a disease and that relapse can be an important step in people's recovery it can be very helpful for them to relapse and learn a lesson about a trigger or about whatever something that they still need to work on so your boundary at one point it was like oh if you relapse then yes. you're out of the house and then it changed yes. to if you relapse you're not out of the house so then did that you then it would set up new boundaries yes or so mine were more about lying right yeah. so to me I can deal with the addiction right so yeah. you have this like mental tra- you have this track in your brain and you got on that track and it it went to where it always goes okay. That's fine. That's one thing. But lying about, like, the lying the week before, the two weeks before, the seven days after, the month yeah. later, yeah. that's not okay. That's a choice that's not in addiction. I mean, it is because it's protecting it. But he made those choices consciously over and over. And that's the thing that was most harmful to our relationship. Yeah. I mean, obviously, relapse is scary, and I don't want him to relapse. But if he messes up in in a good faith, like... 
he's been working really hard and then this something happens like he had a parent die and like something happens like that's traumatic and you don't yet have the skills to deal with that and your brain automatically goes to the thing that's always giving you comfort i can rationally understand that from the point of like the perspective of the addiction but when you lie and you hide things and right that is deceitful to the relationship. Yeah. So those are the things that the I look lying for. Lying has always been the lying around using has always been our big issue. Also, like mm-hmm. yeah, us too. It's hard, and I don't know how. And like that's something that Jake has to figure out, and he still hasn't figured it out because I've told him before. Like I like I could handle this. If, like, if it happened, if you just came to me and were like, I did this, I like, it's the fact that then it goes on mm-hmm. for, like, weeks and you don't tell me, like, that's what makes it so much harder. And he's always been like, I don't know how to come clean about it because I yeah. feel, like, so shitty and I know you're going to be sad. And so you're like, I haven't figured out how to yeah. be honest. And it's something There's I feel like, like Charlie has gotten better about like Mm -hmm. I don't know how how did he get to that point a lot of I mean a lot of work like we did uh couples therapy and we did a lot of things where it was like forcing him to understand that he had basically he had to break that pattern in his addiction Mm -hmm. to to maintain our relationship because that's not to say like he doesn't like he doesn't tell me everything you know or but he but if he like came home like high and bold-faced lied to me that would be a, a like a a true like break of that trust thing, yeah. thing for me. Um, so I don't know. We talked about it a lot, and we did some therapy together. And honestly, like practice, like he would relapse and lie, and it would be this bigger deal. It's like this can be a healing process. Some of the best relapses. It's weird to say like the best relapses, but some of the most helpful relapses have been at a time when he's like, babe. I don't know what happened. I used today. I did this. I spent this much money. I don't know what happened. I called my sponsor. I talked about it. I'm going to a meeting. Like, something happened. I fucked up. Don't know where I went wrong. I'm working on it. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, number one, you come to me, you tell me the truth. I don't find things. There's no, like, scheming. Um, I don't have to confront you. And then you show me that you are taking it seriously, but you're already taking this action in the right direction, which means I don't have to worry about that. It takes the burden off of me of, like, solving the problem, which I think yeah. as a codependent is really yes. one of the hardest things to break. Like, when I want to fix it for you. <laughs> So it takes all that away, and it's so it's when you come when he comes to me like that, it's like I don't know what to do. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you're right. I mean, this is part of your disease, and you're working on it. There's nothing I can say because it meets like he's respecting me, he's respecting our relationship, he's he's working towards recovery, and his intentions are are good. And that those are the things I've asked for, and so yeah. I think something I spoke with Steve about is there was tons of lying because we had years of. BS and so when we spoke and when I've <clears throat> talked to him about different friend situations he said you know when their first thought is a lie or to lie or that's been their survival mechanism it's very hard to kick that yeah mm-hmm. and so while I can say hey did you change the toilet paper downstairs his first thing is to say yes when he didn't and I can go check the toilet paper roll is it filled mm-hmm. but it just he knows that that would make me mad if he you know I'm giving a very simplistic yeah. example no, it's true, but yeah. the, his first instinct is to lie just so that he doesn't make me mad or upset me and so I think that's a very hard like pattern so to break it's ingrained in them. in them because they have to scheme and manipulate to get their drugs yeah. lie to get their money you know Maybe well, yeah, lie to it's their like dealer. a survival tactic. One hundred percent lie to their have job to lie to protect that addiction in themselves. And I think another point think to make part. is that um, what is typically said is when the addict starts using, that's about their emotional state that they kind of just stop at. So my mm-hmm. husband started using about when he was fifteen, and so figuring out how to deal with his like he's numbed his emotions since he was 15 and so figuring out how to deal with his emotions when you know someone passes away that's very close it's like i don't these these are all new emotions so you know typical people who don't have 
an addiction. I've dealt with loss and things like that without drugs or alcohol, but he had never dealt with that before. Mm -hmm. And so uh, maneuvering that, uh, it's just all new feelings and they've usually used drugs as a crutch and now they don't have it anymore. So they have to re or just learn flat out how to deal with emotions. Well, yeah. And I think that's important to remember. You're like not dealing with a normal 30 something year old. You're like dealing with somebody like a 30 something year old who has like the emotional intelligence of a teenager probably Mm -hmm. because they've been stunted. And the good news is they can build that up back Mm -hmm. and get to a normal point. But early on, it's very much not like not rational, like not a normal adult conversation. Right. Um, You mentioned therapy which I think that is another good area that you can, if you're trying to think of like boundaries or Mm -hmm. things to include in an an agreement. And that was after like one of Jake's relapses. I was like, well, we're going to keep moving forward in this relationship. We need to go to like Mm -hmm. couples therapy. And if you don't, if you're not going to agree to that, then Mm -hmm. like there's not a chance for our relationship. And so that was when we first started going therapy but i think with that and i think alex you and i have spoken about that before is um and i remember i think one of the reasons i stayed with steve when i found out all this drug stuff because i was blindsided was don't make any big life decisions within Mm -hmm. the first year and maybe it's too overwhelming for them um now you and jake have been going at it for a while but I think well when I was, we yeah we started going to therapy. This was two years after okay yeah yes. so there had been okay yeah because they I don't think it is necessarily a good idea to jump into like couples therapy immediately. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much that needs to be sorted out individually. But this was he had been in recovery for two years. Sure, I yeah. had a couple like relapses, and I was like, all right, like now I think it's time that we go to yeah. therapy together. And I think that that was a, a frustrating and maddening to me. And I, th- I think I, I feel like I remember this conversation with you yeah. like, WTF, like I want to work on a really, like he has screwed me over so hard. Like yeah. why does he just get a coast for a year when I can't expect anything out of a relationship? Mm. Yeah. Like this is BS. And it was like, well, he's trying to get over a heroin addiction. So like just pump the brakes. Yeah, I've, I've felt that way a lot, especially because relapse has been a part of my husband's recovery. It's like, okay, so I'm kind of waiting to like heal our relationship stuff for when he's more healthy. And it's like, well, when you relapse, you kind of start, you don't all like start all the way over, but it's a setback and you have to do the, some of the beginning things again. And, and I always kind of felt like, okay, well, now I'm reset on like waiting to work on our relationship. And like now I'm second again to like all of these things. And I think that can be frustrating for sure, as the spouse, like, when you're thinking of it like that. But another point is we will always be second. Uh, yeah, but totally. Reco- recovery has to come first. Yeah. It's so no hard. No matter what. And so if you have weekend plans, maybe an anniversary day, and your spouse is feeling fishy, like, yeah. he's right. got to go to a meeting and you, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or whatever, it's a kid's recital. And yeah. he can't go because... You know, he's got to go to a meeting or he can't help at swim practice because he's got to go to a meeting and yeah. you've got to get two kids ready for swim. You know, it's yeah. recovery no matter what will always come first right. and your relationship will always be second. I do want to clarify. We weren't like working on all of our uh, relationship problems in uh, therapy at first. We literally just went to therapy to learn how to talk to each other okay. <laughs> Yeah, because communication was so hard. We had like coached conversations um so that's what it was at the beginning I I did think that was helpful because this topic is so big also and I think there's so much emotion behind it that sometimes it was like hard to have conversations around like this is what I need or whatever and having a third party a therapist Mm -hmm. was it was a safe place where it was like okay I feel like I can say what I want she can help us navigate Mm -hmm. this conversation even if we weren't really trying to work on an issue. It was just being able to talk. I'd like to make another point of, I was seeing a counselor privately who wasn't familiar with addiction. And when I had told her that I found out that Steve was an addict, she straight up said, get out. He's never going to get healthy again, whatever. And I never went back to see her again <laughs> because I had been going to the Wednesday meeting. Yeah. And I was like, that's not, that's not the kind of counselor I want. So yeah. to be aware that there are 
probably professionals who may be more sensitive or more versed in addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just, yeah, I think that's FYI. really important. <laughs> I also think that something I wish I had done, even because, like we didn't go to counseling together right away, but I wish I would have started going to therapy by myself sooner, mm-hmm. like oh. leading up to those two years before we started doing couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Like if I could go back, I would have gotten into my own individual therapy then. Yeah. Um, so one point that someone reminded me of was, uh, so at the beginning, and then for a large part of the recovery, like the first few years or whatever, it the focus really is on the addict getting like good habits in place, and it's really not about family or spouse relationships. Like you can't really do that work because they're not emotionally mature. They're not like they don't have the coping mechanisms. You know all those things. Um, so I think one huge takeaway is from this podcast, this conversation, um, the podcast specifically, is that while you can't talk to that person that you love about this and you can't get those things resolved, I think that's where the um, support groups, the recovery, the treat, the family treatment, the friends that have like a similar in similar situations come in. So they they are so helpful to th- those of us that are supporting our loved one through recovery because we can't get those things from them. They're not capable of giving them to us yet. Mm. Hopefully that day will come, but surrounding yourself with other people that you can talk to and that you can be frustrated about like the fact that I still haven't gotten an apology for certain things, <laughs> you know, right? you know, and that understand where you're coming from with, um, without like just making throwing that on the attic and making they're going to feel shameful they're going to feel guilty yeah. and those aren't helpful while they probably should feel those ways they're not helpful for what they're working towards right now and hopefully one day you can kind of and, and hopefully they go through the steps and make amends and you guys have a conversation about that and that they live their lives in a way that's making up for it every day um but i would just say like if you don't have that support of someone else or a group of people or something like that is why I'm still in my marriage is because I wasn't doing it alone. Like I couldn't get those things from him, Yes, but I could get them other places. Well, they say that the addicts can't do it alone. Like, you know, they need their support groups and the meetings. And I think it's the same for us. And something you said made me think about, um, just self-care in general. And like Mm -hmm. that, that can even be boundaries that we're setting. Like the boundaries don't have to be all about, the addict necessarily. It could be like a boundary for my self-care. Like, okay, I'm going to commit to working out three days a week and I'm going to protect Mm. this hour each night. Like this is my workout time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be very easy to let things like that go to the wayside. Like life gets busy or people need you, but like making commitment, like Mm -hmm. I feel better when I work out. And Mm -hmm. so I'm blocking this time and I'm going to make sure I do it no matter what comes up or Mm -hmm. maybe it's getting enough sleep or even just drinking water like all those self-care things we're listening to boy problems podcast yeah (laughs) you know i'm gonna spend an hour of my day listening to this yes yeah Yeah. Yeah. i I think something too alex and i i was shocked maybe when you had said this to me because i was like complaining that steve wasn't a good husband and you were saying like it takes a village and i don't think i always uh fairy tale disney princess like your husband's gonna be everything for you mm-hmm. and i truly do not feel that that is the case like mm-hmm. love him he's my friend uh partner blah but i don't get everything i need from him mm-hmm. i get that from other sources as well i mean i'm yeah, not i didn't like get married knowing that i mean i thought no. the same thing yeah. like i just expected a lot i had high expectations out of this person for all these roles in my life i wanted them to fill yes and addict or not no one could have filled those no and I think this process just helped me realize that about myself for all of my relationships. Like I have codependent tendencies in relationships outside of my marriage. And I'd mm-hmm. had those prior to getting married to this person. Um, so it was something that I learned along the way. But yeah, I mean, when I, once I realized like, oh, you can't be my, my best friend. And I mean, he's my best friend, but you can't be like, you know, you can't be everything. You can't literally fulfill every need I have. Right. 
And I was looking to him for that and, like, yes. setting these expectations on him. So on top right. of, like, the other stuff he's dealing with, it's like, well, I'm failing at being a husband. And it's like, yeah. so I think when I readjusted my thought of how the relationship, quote, unquote, should look or could work, I it was really hard for me because I had... I didn't know what to do, and, like, that was my natural way of operating. Yes. It was a lot of work, and that's where the, the like, my own therapy helped a ton. Mm-hmm. It's, like, yes. learning, why am I like this? Like, what am I looking for? Like, what, what am I so insecure about that I can't, that I have to have him, you know, tell me he loves me every single second of every day or, like, not an exaggeration, but yeah. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> like, like, so what are the things? There's like a lot of um, work that I had to do on myself. And so that's another way to look at that, that first part of recovery. Like they're working on themselves, but yeah, I take the time to yeah. work on you. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Is there anything else we want to bring up with this boundary? Yeah. I have that? one thing that I want to say, um, because I think, we talked earlier, like the first boundary that comes to mind is like kicking them out of the house. And mm-hmm. I think that's something a lot of people struggle with, like the idea of like, I'm kicking them out and putting them on the streets. And something that helped me wrap my mind around it was looking at it less from like, oh, I'm kicking them out. And I've put in these boundaries, put in ba- these boundaries in place. My loved one is aware of them. We're in an agreement. And if he makes choices that go against that, then he's basically choosing mm-hmm. to leave. Yes. And so I think when you it comes time to have to follow through on that boundary, like shifting the way you think of like, well, they made these choices yeah. that have resulted in this. Like I'm not just kicking him out mm-hmm. because I'm a cold-hearted person. Yes. Right. And I, I, I struggle with that too. And I... We both have done that. Yes. And um, I think that's the hardest thing about some of these boundaries is sticking to them. Yes. Yeah. And because no matter, like, even when they're at that spot, like, you still love them. You still feel the same way about them. And you know that they are struggling in a way that you could never really imagine. Um, But one of the things for me that always helped me follow through was if I do this, if we continue living the way we're living, I'm basically enabling him. Right. Mm-hmm. And kicking him out and f- forcing him to face the consequences for what he's doing is the healthiest, best thing I can do for him and for me. And I think that we get so caught up in like, well, I love this person and I don't want them to have these experiences and things mm-hmm. like that. But you kind of have to let that go. And the fear of like, what happens once they get out there? Like, what if they yeah? And the truth don't is, figure it out. They what, don't come back. What you said was that, um, Elise, what you said was that, um, you know, when they want to use, they'll do anything to use. Oh, yeah. And they'll find the bus stop. They'll, yeah. The, the call truth the is, like, when they want to recover, they will find a way to recover. Yeah. And so when you use that, like, you, when you feel good about that, like, of course you hope and pray that they don't die or, you know, end up in jail. But sometimes jail's the best the best place yes. for them to be. And, um, you know, you hope that they don't overdose and, and things like that or get into a car accident and hurt someone Mm -hmm. but you can't control those things and like just you have to figure out a way to let go and the only way I was able to do that was with friends like surrounding myself with a group of people because I could never in those moments do those things on my own had it just been me I never would have done those things because I would have been too scared like I would have I would have not done those things for me not for him right so I would have like if you're here then I know what's going on right you know and it's like I, I could give up that control because I had other people to surround myself with that could say it's okay it's not these aren't your choices like you did the right thing yeah. so I think you have to have that that support group to make those big decisions mm-hmm. um so. yeah well, and I think that has allowed us to see other people do it like for me I was like okay, I've seen Alex do this and Mm -hmm. I know it was hard for her, but it ended up being like the best thing that they did. And of course there's risk. Every situation is totally different and And every addict is different. Who knows? But like when we got to the point this summer, it was like, I've literally tried everything else. Like, I don't know what else to do. Like maybe Mm -hmm. this is the last, like the last thing that, 
the last option that I have. Yeah. Um, and it was also a point there where um, we talked about with the lying. It was like, oh my gosh, I've been lied to so many times now and I can't just keep allowing this to happen to myself. Right. And if I let you stay, mm-hmm. then I have to deal with the being the detective. And, yeah. and so it was like putting it in place for my own sanity, mm-hmm. but then also hoping that it will impact him somehow yeah and uh one quick note about like having someone saying that someone can't live in your home um that doesn't mean that now for my husband it did once that he did live in his car but it doesn't have to mean that i mean it's happened another time where it was like he was doing relatively well he had almost like eight nine months of clean time and relapsed and it was over the holidays and it was it was a really kind of it was a bad relapse in that like he overdosed and it was dramatic and stuff. Um, but it wasn't okay. You totally fucked up and, and did all these things wrong that led to you making this choice. It was, it was more of, um, okay, so what do you need? Like what support do you need and where are you going to get that support? Because yeah. I can't be that yeah. support for you. We've tried this a number of different ways. Yeah, I can't drug test you every day. I don't have any interest in doing that. I don't want right. to count your meetings. I don't want to, and you need to do that. And so at that point, the best place for him to be was a halfway house where right. someone else was doing that. And, and we could, when we hung out, it was like, just us. And I didn't have to worry about the recovery stuff. I could yeah. focus on myself. So I think that like kicking out thing can look so different. Sometimes it really is like you have nowhere to go, figure it out. But yeah. sometimes it can also be like, I love you. You're trying really hard. Um, but this is not working. This is not and support we need to find you need. a different option. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. And I think that speaks to kind of how this, how these boundaries evolve through recovery. Um, because at the beginning I did say you have to leave and he did sleep in his car and I did drive around like trying to make sure his car was at certain places just to, to make sure he was alive. You know, like mm-hmm. there are things like that, that had happened. That was three years apart from when we decided together that him going to a halfway house gave him the best chance for getting these last pieces in place. Um, you know, and I think that that's just going to have to keep that. Like, you can have these boundaries, but just know that they change as people change and as the relationship changes, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, <laughs> I think that wraps it up. I think we've... Yeah, I think we talked. covered everything. Yeah. yeah. If you have any examples of boundaries or anything that you want to share with us, please send them to us. We'd love to read them. And... Or questions that we, like, didn't touch on. Um, some of these things are hard to remember when they're years ago and, like true you want to forget them anyway so kind of of like bury them so if they're specific like if you have a specific um question about a a situation that you're going through and want to set boundaries but really don't know how reach out yeah yeah all right well that wraps us up keep coming back Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.